Welcome to the Pattern Podcast from KXE in London. As a church, we want to learn ways of being with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things he did in order to see this city we love transformed. This podcast is a resource to help us explore these spirit-filled patterns of living and start putting them into practice every day. To explore the practice of generosity, we chatted with our very own Pete Hughes. Pete's been dropping hints for a while now that he'd quite like to be asked to record one of these, so we eventually gave in and asked him. It turns out he's actually got some great insights, so enjoy learning about how a generous church might just change the world. So Pete, thank you very much for giving me time, walking all the way down from your office to mine uh, to do this. Um, we're looking today at generosity, so kick us off really simply, what is generosity? Yeah, let me, let me give two definitions. The first one is the dictionary one. Um, this is how it defines generosity. Generosity is the virtue of being unattached to material possessions, often symbolised by the giving of gifts. And what I love about that is that, that word unattached. It's got this picture of freedom, but with that freedom, choosing to bless others. So that'd be the first definition. The second one, a bit more of a biblical one, is basically loving people well with our resources. So the Hebrew word for love is used throughout the Old Testament is the word ahava, and it literally means to give. So in the Jewish mindset, when they talk about loving people, they're talking about giving towards people. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of generosity, that when we give of our finances, of our time, with our energies, our affections, we're actually choosing to love people. So generosity is loving people well with all of our resources. So we started getting bored with that. We started to love people really well with our resources, with a sense of freedom. Yeah. What, what's the fruit of a life lived like that? Yeah, I I think generosity, and I'm going to go big from the get-go, I think generosity has the power to change the world. Let me explain why. Number one, I've already said it, that in our generosity, we love people and we know that love changes everything. Um, So we are generous towards the things that we love, the people that we love. And when you receive someone's generosity, if someone gives you an amazing gift, you, you probably love the gift, but more than that, you're like, oh my goodness, you would choose to be that generous to me, like you love me. And it's that love that creates this deep connection and intimacy. So we're grateful for the gift, but more than that, we're grateful for the love. So loving people changes things. Secondly, when it comes to generosity, it creates possibility. Now, let me explain this with a couple of stories. So let me take you back to 2005. B and I moved from Watford. We were working for Soul Survivor and we moved into central London to start working at St. Mary's so we could study theology and prepare to plant a church. Um, But our thinking was we'll sell the one bed flat that we bought when we got married. We'll sell that in Watford and we'll buy a one bed flat in central London. And we we were just so naive because as soon as we started looking at house prices in London, it was like, oh, we're in real trouble here. We can barely afford a garage in central London. So we we started this job at St. Mary's, but we had nowhere to live. So we ended up sofa surfing with, with friends, just staying on couches. And we did that for six months and it was pretty exhausting. And we were trying to figure out how do we rent in central London on like a pretty small church salary. And then six months into that, we get this phone call from a family who are living in King's Cross. And they basically said, look, Pete, my wife and I and our kids, we're, we're moving out of London. We're moving to Cambridge, got a job there. But we own this four bed house in King's Cross and we love King's Cross. We don't want to sell it. We want to you know, remain engaged in the area. So we're trying to figure out what to do with the property. And we're thinking of like asking someone to house it for six months rent free. We had a pray. Um, you guys came to mind. So I'm phoning to say, look, would you like to live six months rent free in King's Cross in a four bed house? So I said, could I tough just tell oh, It's a tough one. I said, look, can I have a little think and pray? about it yes yes I've thought and prayed about it yes we would love to move in 
Um, so we did. We moved in and six months rent free became five years rent free. And when you think of what they could have got on the rental market over five years, four bed house in King's Cross. I mean, it, it's unbelievable generosity. The point is, and I, I honestly don't think this is an exaggeration, that I'm not sure KXC would exist without that generosity because we were working at St. Mary's, no idea where we we're going to plant, but moved into King's Cross. And over those five years, fell in love with the area. Um, so by the time it got to the conversations of where are we going to plant, it was like, do you know what? We've lived here for five years. There's incredible need, incredible opportunity. Maybe we're meant to plant here. So that one act of amazing generosity, almost like dominoes began to fall. And the result of those dominoes was planting a church in King's Cross. So that act of generosity mm. created like possibility that led to the, the birth of KXC. Not another quick story that those at KXC will be familiar with. So 2012, we get this phone call out of the blue. A lady from Singapore got in touch and said, look, I'm part of a team. We're the landlords of a seven-story office block in King's Cross. We want to redevelop the site, but it's going to take us two or three years to get everything ready to do that. We're trying to find some charities that can move into the space so we can get rate relief on the building. We did a Google search. We found King's Cross Church, KXC. And essentially the question was, do you want 15,000 square foot rent-free for the next three years of space? And... I mean, we honestly thought it was a stitch up, a sick joke from someone, one of my brothers maybe. <laughs> but we, we investigated and it was totally legit. So we, we moved in and many will know the story, but that generosity created possibility. And we began to ask questions, what do we do with this space? And the, the co-working journey began in York House, this building we were in. Some of the Compassion Ministries, KX Brunch and other partnerships emerged. And I look back and that one act of generosity, um, dominoes began to, to fall. And who we are now as a church, like seven years on from that, we've been shaped by that story. So giving generously creates possibility and that releases creativity. In the same way that if I was good, if I just wrote you a check right now, I know we don't write checks these days, but <laughs> if I wrote you a check for 500 quid, I'm not going to do You're that. Very yeah, yeah, that'd be way too generous. I'm not going to do that. But you would probably go home. And you'd say to Anna, like, we've just been given 500 quid. Like, what do we do? Like, do we go on holiday? Do we invest in some kids clubs for Arlo and Kit? Like, what do we do? Suddenly you're in a creative process. Um, and I, I think generosity releases these worlds of possibility, which is super fun. And then the final thing is it releases joy. So when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, he's basically saying that there's a joy in this. There's so much joy in giving. I love the verse um, in, in 2 Corinthians, um, I think it's chapter 9, where Paul talks about whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, whoever sows generously, reaps generously. And then the next verse, it says that God loves a hilarious giver. And just that picture of hilarious giving, like joyful giving. And I think we're not good at this in the West, but if you go to a service in sort of a Pentecostal context, almost the offering is one of the high points of the service where people almost dance to the front to make their offering to give to the church. It's this sense of joy. 
Um, and I think that's what Paul's getting at, that there's a joy in that kind of freedom, that kind of, of giving. And what we kind of see theologically, neuroscience now backs up, that when you give, it releases chemicals in the brain. So um, endorphins, dopamine, oxytocin that releases joy. So psychologists now call this the giver's glow, that when you give, your whole being begins to glow. And the beautiful thing about that is as you glow and experience this joy, because other people around you, the way we're wired, we have mirror neurons. So we begin to mirror what you're going through. So as you're experiencing this glow, others begin to see this generosity. They begin to experience joy and it begins to spread like wildfire. And I just think, you know, if we want the world to be a more joyful place, like what could we do right now? And, and the starting point would just start being generous and see the ripple effect of that generosity. So for those three reasons, it's part of loving people well. It creates possibility. It releases joy. That's why I think generosity is so, so powerful. Amazing stuff. We start to touch there on, on sort of biblical understanding. Let's deep dive into that. What, what's the sort of theological, biblical underpinning of this idea of generosity? Yeah, so I, I think it starts in, in Genesis. So let's, you know, if you to do the creation story or, or the biblical story through the lens of generosity, it would it would be essentially generosity, degenerosity. <laughs> I'm half joking. I'm half joking. You're not? <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm going to go there. Um, so Genesis 1, like the story really is about generosity. God creates out of the overflow of his love. And then more than that, invites humanity to share in his creation. And then more than that, invites humanity to share in the rule and reign over his creation. That's unbelievable generosity. So that's how things were intended to be. And then if you look at the fall, it's essentially humanity turning their backs on God and God's generosity. So in the book of Romans, Paul talks about this and he's talking about created order unraveling through sin. And he says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their futile, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then he goes on to talk about how everything began to unravel. But the starting point is, is they neither glorified him nor gave thanks. So I think there's something really powerful about the role of gratitude in our lives, that gratitude connects us to the generous God. When God is generous, when we say thanks, we're connecting ourselves to God and his generosity. But when we sort of like go away from that, we stop giving thanks, we disconnect ourselves from the generous God. Um, and in that disconnection, that sin, everything begins to unravel. So the unraveling is us turning away from the generosity of God. So that's the fall and then if you look at redemption, it's essentially God consistently being recklessly generous. And then we see that in God taking on human flesh, living for us, dying for our sins, rising to new life, that we could be redeemed, restored, reconciled to the Father. And perhaps the most famous verse in all of Scripture would be John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In other words, the cross is a moment of reckless generosity. And the way that we connect with that reckless generosity is, is worship. We respond and we're like, God, thank you. Like, yes, I want to live in relationship with you. So essentially you've got generosity at creation, 
The fall is turning away from God's generosity. And then redemption is the story of God displaying his generosity through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And then you have the end of the story, which is the renewal of all things, which is essentially us choosing to partner with God's purposes. Um, and the way we do that is by becoming like Jesus. Like we change the world by becoming like Jesus. Like as you read through the Gospels, it's a very simple conclusion. Jesus changed the world. And as we become like Jesus, we change the world. Um, in the way that God intends it to be changed. So be in the middle of all that, you talk about the generosity of God um, from a biblical standpoint. In the middle of it, you talk about sort of um, recklessly. Yeah. Um, he's recklessly generous. It's part of our vision, statement of King's Cross, recklessly give ourselves away to God, each other, and the people of King's Cross and beyond. What what do you actually mean by reckless in that, in that sentence? Yeah, I, I think the word reckless captures this sense of like, it's so extravagant. It's almost irrational. It's hard for us to get our heads around. So the prodigal son's a great story of this where, you know, Tim Keller's written a book called The Prodigal God and he makes the point that actually the most reckless person in the story isn't the son who kind of spends his inheritance on wild living. It's actually God, you know, the father who humiliates himself and runs to welcome home the son. Um, and in that story, like, as the crowd would have listened the question would have been like, what kind of dad would do that? That's like, that's irrational. That's extravagant. That makes no sense. Um, if we love people like that, if we're generous with that kind of extravagance, it raises so many questions. So the word reckless is essentially trying to capture this idea. It's a generosity that, that causes people to think, oh my goodness, what is going on? Because that doesn't make sense. People aren't normally that gener generous. What's behind it? That's kind of what I mean by generous yeah, and no, reckless. Amazing. So that kind of reckless generosity, we want to, um, if we, we want to see the world change, we yeah. need to live generously, but we, and we need to do it in the likeness of Jesus. So what, what you talk about the hope of the world, essentially us becoming more like Jesus. Jesus. How do we do that? What's the process of becoming more like Jesus? Yeah. So I, I think basically we often talk at KXC of, of this journey of becoming, that it starts with the character and nature of God. So God's being shapes God's doing, shapes our being, shapes our doing. So it starts with God's being. Everything God does is an overflow of who he is. So God's being shapes his doing. Everything God does, and specifically let's talk about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit, everything God does shapes who we are. Paul would say we are a new creation because of what Christ has done for us at the cross and through his resurrection. So his doing shapes our being. Then everything we do is an overflow of who we are. We act in consistency with, with our being, our nature and our identity. So the point is it starts with the character and nature of God. And we, we've looked at the creation story. We've looked at redemption. We'd have to say that part of God's character is, is his generous, like recklessly generous, irrationally generous. So if the journey is that God's being shapes his doing, he acts like that towards us and that changes who we are then we begin to act in the overflow of that we should be becoming more and more generous more and more like the father this is part of what it means to be human right to be made in the image and likeness of god to show the world what god is like we say god is recklessly generous how will the world know that god is recklessly recklessly generous the answer is through our actions the way we live the way we relate to one another the way we give generously should point to the world this is what god is like so the point is it starts with the character and nature of god 
And that's why I think the pattern stuff is, is so beautiful, so brilliant. These three journeys of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the stuff that Jesus did. It's in the being with that something shifts. If you spend time with friends, you, we all know this, that we become like them. If you spend consistent time with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, you're going to become like them. So in being with Jesus, you're going to become more and more generous. That's going to shape who you are. And then we're going to do the stuff he did. So our activity in the world, it's going to speak of generosity. So the starting point is is the being with Jesus and, and everything flows from that place. Awesome. So Pete, we're talking about becoming like Jesus. That's what the whole lives, you want our whole lives to be yeah. generous. But obviously there's a particular element to this, which is about money yeah. and about generosity with our finances. Talk to me a little bit about that. What's what, How can we understand that? Yeah. So if, if you've grown up around the church or you've read the scriptures, you, you'll probably have heard of this thing called tithing. Um, so the church has been doing it throughout the ages. Um, let me just kind of give you a kind of bird's eye view of, of tithing and then offerings in, in the scripture. So basically, there was a number of Jewish festivals that, that were celebrated. But the two key ones when it comes to like financial giving, one would have been the Festival of First Fruits. So this kind of happened during the week of Passover. And essentially, people would gather the first fruits of their land, like the first 10%, the first parts of the crops that have been ripening. And they would bring them to the temple and they would make an offering to the high priest who represented God, so essentially towards God. And as they did that, they would recite their story of God's generosity towards them. Essentially, we were slaves in Egypt. You liberated us at the Red Sea. You led us through the wilderness. You provided for us. You entered into a covenant relationship with us at Mount Sinai. You led us into the land. You overcame the giants. In other words, we are so grateful for everything you've done. So we want to display that gratitude in his, the first 10% of our our produce. So tithing, given the first 10% of your income, which is what many, many churches practice, isn't really about generosity. We're going to get there. It's basically gratitude. Remember like the fall, things go wrong when you turn your back on God's generosity. Gratitude enables us to remain connected. So that the tithing is about the gratitude. Thank you, God, for your generosity. Um, the second festival, which was like seven weeks later, 50 days later, is the festival of weeks. We often call it Pentecost. Now, that was an opportunity to give again. Um, they'd make a second offering. Here's the key thing. Between the Festival of First Fruits and the Festival of Weeks was this kind of 50-day period. And in the climate of Israel, that was a really unpredictable time. So you could have like intense heat that would scorch the crops and your barns would be empty in seven weeks' time. You could have floods that would destroy the crops, barns empty. Or you could have an amazing time and your barns would be rammed. So when you gave the first 10% the best of your land. You had no idea in seven weeks time whether there'd be anything left. In other words, it was fairly high risk. And the point was, it released trust. It was, it was a way of saying, God, we give you the best, the first 10%, and, and we're going to trust you with the rest. Then seven weeks time, there'll be enough for us to live on. And the Jewish people discovered that when they put their trust in God, God always provided. That was his name, Jehovah Jireh, God provides. So the barns would be like round most of the time. Um, and that was the opportunity then out of the overflow of God's provision, they would give again, like, thank you, God, that you provided. And this was like the generosity piece. We we gave you as an act of gratitude. We had this journey of trust. And now we're going to be generous because we want to become like you and you are constantly generous to us, which is why Pentecost was like this massive party, the ingathering of the people, celebrating God's provision and a moment of giving again. 
And side point, but I love the fact that the church was birthed at Pentecost. This party, this sense of generosity, this is what the church is meant to be about, displaying the generosity of God to the world. So essentially that that's how it kind of acts. So this discipline that continues today of Christians saying, I want to give the first 10% of my income to God as a way of saying, I want to remain connected. I want to recognise you're generous to me and I want to develop this attitude of gratitude. Um, then I'm going to trust that you're going to provide and then there'll be moments out of the overflow of your provision i'm just going to give again because i want to become more like you and become recklessly generous so that's kind of like the practices that you see in the old testament but then followed through into the new testament of, of like generous giving okay so this all sounds like a great idea yeah. <clears throat> and it sounds like it genuinely might actually change the world change the lives of those around us yeah. why do you and i why do we all struggle to actually do it yeah i i think that's that's a brilliant question. And this is where like rubber hits the road. Because um, I think people love the idea of being generous. But when, when it gets to sort of like the moment where we're going to act, fear kicks in. And I think fear kicks in because we love to be in control. And the idea of us being out of control, in other words, having to trust that God will provide, that, that terrifies like all of us, right? So, but this is why we need to give as, as a practice, even when we don't have all the emotions like attached to it, is a way of saying, look, I recognise that there's an idol at play in my life. It's essentially around control. I want to be my own saviour. I want to be my own provider. And therefore, I need to hold on to my money tightly um, so that I can be in control. When I give away the first 10%, I, essentially what happens in that moment is, is you're putting to death you know, that idol at work in your life. So that's why generosity, it does release unbelievable joy. But let's just be brutally honest. There's moments where it feels like death as well. It's almost there is a dying to self because the part of you that's dying is the bit that needs to be in control. So you die to self and then you begin to live for Christ. And that's the moment that releases joy. So every time we give or we contemplate giving, I think we could almost taste the joy. But then immediately this fear kicks in of like, but will I have enough to live on? Like I'm, I'm struggling to cover rent and all these other bills in my own social life. Like, can I trust God? And behind that question is like, what is God's character? Like, is he good? Like, is he powerful enough to provide for my needs? And, and that's why the being with Jesus changes everything. Because if you haven't answered that question with, I, I believe he is good and he will provide, then trusting him is going to be a nightmare. But if you spent time in his presence and you know, like, he is good, he is powerful, he will provide, then you can trust. And in that journey of trust, that's, that's honestly when we begin to change the world. Because, like, faith is what moves mountains. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when there's faith at work in our lives, that's when the kingdom begins to break in. So that's why I think giving is so important, but painful, definitely painful. We're killing the idol of control, the fear at work in our lives. And as we find that freedom, that joy, like honestly, it spreads like wildfire. So on this idea of like there being an idol in your life, it's really interesting to me um, that Jesus says in Matthew 6, and he's talking about this idol of money and the effect it has on our lives. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. It's the only place in the New Testament where an idol is actually given a name, personified like mammon. Um, some translations say you cannot serve both God and money. And the reason I think it's given a name is, is Jesus 
It's trying to say, like, this is actually a really big deal. This idol has got a grip on you, and, and you cannot have it both ways. You've got to make the choice. You cannot serve both God and therefore in, enjoy the freedom and liberation and joy that he brings. You cannot have that and be in control yourself, gripped by this fear of, of money and, and needing to sort of micromanage every part of your finances. Like, essentially, you've got to trust, and that pathway of trust is, is, is basically saying, God, when it comes to my money, you're in charge. Um, that is the pathway to freedom. That is the pathway to joy. Um, but that means making some big decisions, you know, to say it can't be both and, it's either or, which way are you going to choose? And and we talk about this regularly at KXC, that idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. That's what C.S. Lewis said. When you choose mammon, and let's just be really honest, most of us in the day-to-day, we do. We choose that one. Um, we're choosing the pathway that would break our heart. When we choose trust, we're choosing life. Um, it is a matter of life and death. It really is. Um, and that's why generosity is so key. In generosity, we are choosing life. Okay, so Pete, people are listening to this. They're captivated by the idea that this might change the world. They recognise these obstacles in their life and they want to overcome them. How do people actually give? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a few things. Like, number one... It starts with intention. Like, we all love the idea of being spontaneously generous. Like, out from me and like, no, 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 let me cover this one. You know, at the bar, no, no, this one's on me. We love the idea of spontaneous generosity. But before anything spontaneous, it's intentional. And it's intentional again and again and again until it comes sec- becomes second nature. Uh, so this is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that's the kind of phrase about hilarious giving. But notice the language, like decide in your heart what you're going to give. Like there's a decision. Like if if you do this again and again, it will become spontaneous. But to begin with, you make a decision. So that means when it comes to, let's say, giving to the church or a generous gift towards a friend, at some point you're making a decision, I am going to do this. So it's not just a nice idea. Like I am actually going to do this. So in your heart, you make a decision. So number one, be intentional. Like what do I want to be generous towards? What do I want to give my money towards? Number two, um, give secretly. So Jesus talks about giving and, and he basically says, like, your left hand shouldn't know what your right hand's doing. So this idea of it being hidden because God sees and this is an act of worship to God. So I think there's something powerful about when you make a decision to give, like, don't parade it. Hey, everyone, look look at what I'm like. Look how generous I am. But like just doing it between you and God. Um, the effects will be evident for people to see but there's something about like making the decision and something of secrecy that just does something in in your internal world of like building up faith and an intimacy with God and then the the only other thing would be to give regularly like to basically say this isn't just going to be a one-off thing you know this is what again the pattern material highlights again and again is that when you imitate essentially we're imitating God and then practice, 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 something becomes second nature. Um, So let's be generous once. And then we're like, okay, great. I'm just beginning to get that muscle working. Do it again, do it again. And you don't have to be generous like with huge amounts of money or with huge amounts of time, maybe start small, but do it regularly. And as that muscle grows, one, I think it releases faith to give more generously with a greater abundance. And two, I think it eventually does become spontaneous and you end up with like generous people who can't help but be generous. And let's face it, we all want to be around those people. 
particularly at the bar or in restaurants. Um, because, yeah, there's a joy that they carry. Um, so those would be the three little tips, like start with intentionality, give intentionally before it becomes spontaneous, give secretly, this is between you and God, um, and then finally give regularly, make it a practice. Okay, so those are general tips. What's what? Are, what does someone listen to this do tomorrow? Like, what's their first yeah. steps? So I, I think the first step, tomorrow morning you're going to wake up we've basically said there's a journey that starts with gratitude that's the tithing piece into trusting god and into generosity so wake up start with gratitude maybe just get get a pen and paper and i want you to list the ways that god and others have been generous towards you just write you know simple things down on the paper of where you've experienced generosity that will do something to your heart um and then make this decision okay today i'm going to be generous towards someone like be intentional taking someone for lunch, buying someone a coffee on the way to work. So when you get to work, you've got a coffee in hand for them. Sending someone a message that, you know, communicates you've been thinking about them. Like make a decision tomorrow morning what you're going to do and then actually do it. The next morning, wake up. Where did I experience generosity yesterday? Make a little list. Um, What's my decision today? Who am I going to be generous towards? And if it's kind of small acts of generosity, they will gather momentum. Give it a month of practicing this, you know, discipline, this pattern with your pattern buddies. Like, I'm guaranteeing you there will be some amazing stories. Um, And I bet you, not that we bet, but I bet you, you'll be living life with greater joy, greater freedom, and your, you know, environments, your workplaces, your families will experience the fruit of that. Brilliant. Thanks, Pete. So many good insights. So many good top tips. Look forward to you buying me lunch. Thank you for listening to the Pattern Podcast. If you'd like to explore more spirit-filled patterns of living, head over to pattern.org.uk.